3: Welcome to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 259. I'm Jake Latarski joined today by John Littering. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto-Jake. Today we're going to be making our biggest picks for the fights at UFC 259, Adesanya versus Blakovich. Of course, three title fights, that's just the headliner here. A couple things before we get started. Uh... Man, I've been using our new sports betting section on Rotowire and it is phenomenal. It, it compete, definitely competes with some of the other sites out there. We got four legal sports books up on there. You can sort all the props, tons of props out there and it automatically shows you which one the best value is and you can you know, you can search, you can type in the amount of bet you want to make it'll show you the payoff. It's uh, real real helpful stuff, so definitely check that out this week. Um a lot of betting content up on Roto Wire. Of course, you can catch John's DraftKings preview as well. You can catch AJ's FanDuel preview. Uh Chris dives into all these websites with a uh, even even touches on monkey knife fight and super draft a little bit. Super is really blowing it out of the water this week in terms of prize pools. So that's been great. And of course, uh tomorrow night, that's Friday night at eight p.m. Eastern on the RotoWire YouTube channel. We've got Fight IQ. Chris Jones Sean will be bringing you uh Top to bottom recaps as well. But we're gonna get you started here today with UFC two fifty nine, a couple title fights. Since we only do this once a month, John, you know, I gotta I gotta ask. The heavyweight division has had some crazy landscape changes here. First you have Derek Lewis just emerging as a title contender again, um, you know, Cyril Ghosn kind of getting a, a lackluster victory. And then just last night, we kind of had the crazy news that Alistair Overeem, Junior Dos Santos, gone from the UFC. Their UFC run is over with. So, uh, I mean, what's your reaction to all that here? And, I mean, what's next for the title division? I mean, or the heavyweight division? We're going to talk about Stipe and and uh, and Ngannou again at the end of the month, but, like, where does everything go from there?
1: It's a good question. Um, I actually kind of applaud Dana White for... Uh, cutting ties with Alistair Overeem and Junior mm-hmm. Dos Santos. Um, I think the Dos Santos thing was expected. Mm-hmm. Overeem maybe not so much, but mm-hmm. essentially, um, I think it's probably just a cost preventive measure. Um, even if those guys, if those guys were you know mm-hmm. to sign new deals tomorrow, um, it's not going to be cheap given mm-hmm. their background and they're both popular. So, mm-hmm. they
3: that this was all
1: coming, and I mean we saw it with Joel Romero getting released and. You know, I mean, yeah, and I mean, and it, no, and in in many instances, um, Dos Santos especially was in worse shape as far as making another one, run at the top than Romero was yeah. in the middleweight division. Did so. you
3: see that apparently they offered Dos Santos Marcin Tybura at the very end of the month and he turned it down? Which I don't blame him, and then they said, "Okay, they pretty much fired him." Then, which you know, they kind of did him dirty with that one a little bit. But I feel like you know, the other side of that is they were going to let him go anyway. But they figure, why don't why don't we give you one more shot just in case? And then nope, okay. But I, I don't blame him for not taking that fight. I mean, he's had four consecutive knockouts in
1: the first two rounds. It's just brutal. Yeah, I mean, I, it's probably it goes one of two ways from like Dos Santos's camp. Either he is legitimately realize and i don't know this for sure either he legitimately realizes he can't compete at this level anymore which if he's being honest with himself is true or the flip side is he's turns down the deal because he's just extremely confident he can get a better price with bellator or world's yeah. uh, you know pfl or you know any of those type of things so yeah well, it's, I mean, it's one or the is, other
3: you think you go win a million dollars if you win that heavyweight division tournament so right. it's you know, it's one or it's, it's
1: one uh, yeah, you know, I don't think he would win, but um, you know, Bellator yeah. certainly never been hesitant to sign guys mm-hmm. who would be probably turned past their prime. And I mentioned earlier, I applaud Dana White for this because the depth in the heavyweight division, which appeared to be getting a little better for a while, is kind of going back to not particularly good. So mm-hmm. um in a company that essentially, I say this whole time, a company that essentially holds an event every single week, um you know they got to fill out these cards and you know say what you want about dos santos and overeem's legitimate ability to win fights these days they are both well known you know, dos Santos is a former champion. Overeem's been around 100 years. You know, they're popular than 90% of the fighters who fight these days. But, you know, I credit Dana White. You know, neither, mm-hmm. they're both guys are firmly in gatekeeper status. Exactly. They weren't going anywhere. And like Romero, they just cut ties.
3: Yeah, well, well, well the overall division may not be as deep. It's definitely top-heavy here because, you know, it, it depends. If Ngannou beats Stipe, then, you know, there's an argument for a trilogy fight. There's an argument for him to face John Jones, who's coming up to heavyweight. There's an argument for... him to face Derek lewis even even though i don't know with how that last fight went
1: down here uh there's a lot they could do at the top very top heavy extremely top heavy and um you know i guess john jones is probably the wild card and all this and whatever he wants Mm -hmm. to do and jones and i know jones and Ngano have been going back and forth on twitter the past week so um it'll be interesting to see what they do but uh yeah. We'll what was his this tweet one? during the Gane
3: fight? Like, You guys are going to have to step it up and be ready something, for more of that when Daddy like that. gets home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. You know. <laughs> classic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I don't know. I, against against all logic, I've been a Bones fan for years. It's I the usual Jones stuff that he does. So, anyway, okay, so we can t- we can move past the heavyweight division here. Let's talk about UFC 259 because this card is absolutely freaking loaded. Three title fights. I, think it's, I, I know you have a Conor pay-per-view to start things off, but this is by far the best pay-per-view they've done this year. Here. One of the best pay-per-views of the last several years here, I think, uh, and we'll just start from the top here. We got a light heavyweight championship. The middleweight champion Israel Adesanya is moving up to take uh, to try and take Jan Blakovich's light heavyweight championship belt here. Adesanya is favored minus two thirty. comeback on Jan plus one ninety. Salaries reflect that on DraftKings ninety two hundred for Adesanya seven thousand for blakovich Odds to finish minus two hundred, which is interesting. We'll get to that in a second here, but. I've had a lot of thoughts on this fight John. I've gone back and forth both ways several times but but you know before I kind of empty the tank here I'm, I'm going to give you a shot at uh, breaking this down and picking the winner.
1: Well, it's essentially a no-lose situation for Adesanya in the sense that he's fighting for a championship and his championship isn't at risk. So no matter what happens on Saturday Adesanya is going to walk out a champion. Um it's an interesting matchup style-wise. Um, I'm a little surprised the DraftKings price on Adasanya is so high, considering he's the one moving up. Um, he's $2,200 more than Makovic. But when we look at what Adesanya's done, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. Um, he made his debut a little over three years ago. In that time span, he's defeated... Robert Whittaker, Polo Costa, Yolo Romero, who we just spoke about Marvin Vittori, Kelvin Gaslam, Anderson, Sylvan, and Derek Brunson, just to name a few. He has earned post-fight bonuses in seven of his nine fights, which when you look at that resume and that, and every, the name, some of the names I just ran off, it's easy to see why he is. I mean, he's already a superstar, but he, I think he is on the verge of going to that next level. Did you and see my met- first take this morning in his purple robe? I did not, but it was that was that was probably good. He's an entertaining guy. He's yes. a well-spoke. He's a very well-spoken guy. Mm-hmm. He's very thoughtful. Um, I think he has the potential. I don't want to say anybody's going to be Conor McGregor because Conor's act is so integral to his success, and Adesanya is you know not at that level with his shtick, so to say. But if you pull Dana White and the rest of the UFC brass, obviously they'll never tell you this. There is not a person in that room in that company who does not want Israel Adesanya to win this fight. Mm-hmm. It is the best result for business by a million miles. Um, they and need stars. I'll say
0: they
3: need stars. McGregor just got do. knocked out. There's no Rousey. They need that superstars. Rousey's
1: on. Yep, they do. And I think he, I think he has that potential. Now, um, he's is a pure kickboxer. Um, throws a ton of kicks. Obviously, can throw anything from any stance at any time. He's extremely creative. And I think he's legitimately getting better. You know, he's 20 and 0 as far as MMA fights, but he's still relatively young in his MMA career because he had 80 kickboxing fights before he transferred over. Um, He's definitely big enough. To succeed at light heavyweight, I mean, Adesanya is 6'4", and he has an 80-inch reach. You know, he's perfect. He's plenty big enough.
3: Are, are you and, buying the talking point that he says he's only going to come in around 195? I guess we'll see on weigh-in day. That could be a troll job. But is that of any
1: concern at all? Not to me. Um, I, you know, I trust him and his team and Eugene Behrman and all the guys at City Kickboxing. I'm sure if they think he can do whatever he has to do at 195 pounds or whatever, mm-hmm. You know, they know better than I do what he needs, Of course, you know, what he needs to do to get, you know, peak performance. But he's going up against the guy in Jan Likovic here who, if you look at everything that's going on here, this kind of, on the surface at least, I think sets up as a coronation for Adesanya. You know, he can walk out a two-division champion. He's, you know, like you mentioned, this card's loaded, so... He'll, he's headlining what very obviously we don't know what the rest of the year is going to you know show but this could very well this wouldn't surprise me in the least if this goes down as the best card of the year it's that good so he's getting the headlining spot on what will certainly be one of the biggest cards of the year but it's hard to pick it's hard to pick against what we've considering what we've seen in him lately mm-hmm. um, anybody who follows us and listens to us regularly and reads my preview columns know I haven't been the biggest Wachowicz supporter over the years, and he just keeps throwing it back in my face. Um, he's 8-1 and in his last nine fights. The only setback during that time was against Thiago Santos. Um, his last four fights have been a split decision over Jacare Souza and knockout wins over Luke Rockhold, Corey Anderson, and Dominic Reyes. Um, he beat Reyes for the vacant championship last September mm-hmm. after John Jones decided he was going to walk away. Best performance of his career.
2: I, I don't know far. if you've
1: ever seen him better than that. No, he looked very good. And the one thing I clearly underrated with Bukovic is his stopping power. And I think the reason I underrated it is because nothing Bukovic does in the octagon is particularly pretty. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have the fluidity or the gracefulness of a guy like Adesanya. He's not as athletic as Adesanya. He's a bit more of a big, burly guy, even against Reyes. Reyes is taller, thinner. Has kind of a not—he's not as thin as Adesanya, but has this that more of that body type. And I am worried about Lukovitch's lack of athleticism over the long term. And he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would be able to hold on to his belt through multiple title defenses. But on the flip side, I never in a million years thought he'd ever get this far. So I've clearly underrated him. The power is clearly legitimate. Um. That being said, I think this sets up as a poor stylistic matchup for Bukovic. And the reason I say that is he's is going to have to lean on that power to win because I think the odds of him outpointing Adesanya in a kickboxing match over 25 minutes is extremely mm-hmm. small. Yeah. Um, you know, we say that all the time. If you're going to beat a guy like Habib Nurmagomedov with his wrestling, it's going to take that one punch or that one strike that leads to a finish because the odds of him not being on top of you for 25 minutes are so small. It's the opposite against Adesanya in the sense that he's going to beat you up on the feet. But I just have a difficult time believing that is going to be able to outpoint him over 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, um, I think the Kovic's draft Kings price is definitely reasonable. Given how much power he has and what he's shown lately, oh, yeah. but ultimately, I think there's a talent gap between the two. Mm-hmm. I think Adesanya just has more weapons, and who knows? Maybe he does come in at 195 pounds, and Bukovich looks at that and goes, "Oh wow, you're 195 pounds. You know, I struggle to get to 205. I'm just gonna, you know, try and tie you up and, wrestle, you know, mm-hmm. whatever I'm gonna do, fight in tight, initiate clinches. Yeah, but you know, I just I think Adesanya is crafty enough. And the one thing you talk about Adesanya is, and we say this all the time, he's a pure striker, so everybody immediately assumes his takedown defense and his wrestling Mm -hmm. is nowhere near as good as his striking. And that's probably true. That being said, throughout his UFC run, Adesanya's takedown defense, 86%, which is exceptional. Mm -hmm. Um, And Lukovic is not a you know not mu- he averages over a takedown per 15 minutes but barely so you know he's not much of a wrestler ultimately i just think there's a ca- talent gap between the two and then you t- throw in the fact that if this does turn into a striking battle despite the fact he's the one moving up adisani is 2 inches taller and has a 2 inch reach advantage i just think there's a fluidity and an overall athleticism difference between the two, yeah. which makes it hard to pick against Adesanya. Yeah, I mean, that mixed with the definite speed advantage he'll have is why I,
3: definitely, why I eventually here came around to Adesanya. You know, when, when the fight was first announced, I was a little bit puzzled by that, you know, because in the middleweight division, Adesanya, you know, he hasn't completely cleaned it out. He could still fight Cannoneer. He could can still fight Till, maybe Hermanson, you know. So th- there are options for him at middleweight. So I was a little bit confused as to why they wanted to rush him up to heavyweight and like you made the point, John, it would be good for business. And if, you know, Sean Shelby and, the, and those guys did not think that uh, he had a very good chance of winning this fight, why would they need to make this fight happen, you know, right now at this moment in time? I was surprised to see him being the next two-division championship, but, uh, you know, it's good for business, so I like I like that as well. Um and yeah, you know, when I was going into the Adesanya-Costa fight, I think I picked Costa in that fight. And my logic was, you know, Izzy's a little bit slight and he'll be light in this raid. Ra- you know, the f- frame-wise, he's slight even for the middleweight division a little bit, whereas, you know, Costa's this big, burly guy that if he hits you, you know, you- you're going to go to sleep. And I thought that, you know... Costa would be able to get him in clinch situations or maybe find that power shot. And Izzy absolutely picked him apart. So when I was trying to, you know, initially coming out, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take Blachowicz as an underdog. You know, he'll be able to get him in the clinch situations. He might find that power shot. And then I was like, wait a minute. I've been down this path before here, and I'm not going to get fooled again by it. I'm going to pick Adesanya in this fight. So we're we're on the same page here, but I'll play a little bit of ed- devil's advocate here uh, for Jan just to make this a little bit uh, interesting debate here. Um, you know, Adam Martin, a good follow on Twitter. I'm going to take this tweet from uh, Jan Blukovic has been an underdog in 12 of his 15 UFC fight, and he has won eight of those fights as an underdog. So, you know, the betting underdog necessarily you don't – I mean, he – I don't think a plus 190 is necessarily appropriate. I could give him a little bit more there. So I think there's some value here, but in the end I'm also going to um you know, we're in the business of picking winners here. So I, you know, I got to go out of Sonya. and then I do want to bring up the small cage a little bit. Uh you know, they're in Vegas, a little bit smaller cage. You would think that favors Jan a little bit, right? Yes, less room for Izzy to run. You know, could you make a case for that
1: at all? Or- no, I mean, I think you can. I I, I think he has more power and Adesanya is more volume and placement, Mm -hmm. but even though you're looking at the smaller cage, you know, I also think there's a technical skill. Yep. And Adesanya, I can you know can I, make footwork. I mean. Yeah, I I just I trust Adesanya to no one to faint, no one to push forward, and no one to pull back, and mm-hmm. I think that makes a difference.
3: Yeah, I think we were almost unanimous Adesanya on our, on our staff picks. There might have been one detractor, but you know for the most part, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna pick him to win, I guess. And uh, you know DraftKings wise, I think. Uh, You know, he's had some lower scoring. You know, you go back to the Romero fight in particular. That one comes to mind. Um, I don't know. I think there are some better finishing odds in that price range. But uh, you definitely want to have some exposure just the five-round fight alone.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, look, Pukovic has been really good, and he's cheap. So, uh, you know, he he can certainly pay off relative to his overall price tag. But, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to win. Yeah.
3: If he cracks him or even even subs him you know he hasn't necessarily subbed anyone since krylov in 2018 but nine of his 27 professional victories pretty much a third he's got a third split by method you know sub and that would be a crazy prop if any of that happens he winds up in the optimal and DraftKings is giving away they got a one million dollar gpp with a two hundred thousand dollar top prize this week you know you got to do some tricky things to kind of find your way into that optimal if you don't want to split it with 300 people and that could be one way to do it here so i would i could see you know Greater than 10% ownership in that contest for Blakovich, but uh, uh, neither here nor there. You know, there's value, but then again, I think there's a winner here, and I think that winner is going to be out of Sonya. Let's move on, though. Uh, Let's talk about the co main event, John. Uh, I guess we don't have to touch on this one a ton. I don't know if you think it's as much of a foregone conclusion as I do, but Amanda Nunez will be defending her her featherweight belt against Megan Anderson. Nunez is 9,600 on DraftKings. Comeback on Anderson is 6,600. She is the cheapest fighter on the entire slate here, and I mean, when you look at the betting odds, no surprise here, Nunez around minus 1,165, Anderson plus 750. So, I mean, at those odds, you're not getting any help with Nunez if you're adding her to a parlay. It's tough to bet that straight up you know bet twelve hundred dollars to win a hundred bucks odds to finish are minus 500 if you sort by first round finishing props or knockout props on our mma sports betting site nunez is the top of all of that i mean is this really as easy as it seems john is this a layup
1: seems like it um yeah it's we i mean of course we said that about ronda rousey and then holly Holm went out and hammered her but yeah mm-hmm. um this seems pretty straightforward uh, I don't think anybody really needs to overthink this one too much. Um, we say on here all the time, if someone is minus 1165 for a title defense, the fight probably shouldn't be happening. Um, you'd hope there's a better option. And the scary thing is that 145 pounds. Now there might not be a better option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to just illustrate
3: that. I mean, Anderson's getting the shot uh, on wins over Norma Dumont Zaire Farr, and Zaire Farn, Dos Santos and, uh, Anderson lost to Felicia Spencer, who Nunez beat from bell to bell for five
1: rounds. Yeah, I mean Anderson is three and two with the UFC, and you mentioned her two wins, so mm-hmm. it's it's hard. It's even if Anderson pulls a massive upset, it's impossible to justify that this fight should be happening. You know, there, but there the lack of depth in the division um, essentially makes it a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, it look even if you go beyond that, it on this it certainly looks like a really Bad stylistic matchup for Anderson. Um, she is a kickboxer, and um, we all know no one, no female on the planet today hits anywhere near as hard as Amanda Nunes. So um, she's a much better fighter, and stylistically, it seems to favor her. The only thing you could, I guess, if you're looking for anything, the only thing you can really say about Megan Anderson is that she's four inches taller or so yep. and has a three-inch three inch reach edge. Exactly. Um, beyond that, it's nearly impossible. And then you look at this, which is – I didn't write, mention this in my preview column, but looking a little deeper, it's probably the most terrifying set of all. Amanda Nuna – I'm sorry. Megan Anderson is a pure striker. And she lands 1.82 significant strikes per minute. She absorbs 2.94. So someone who relies on her t- tall frame, long frame, mm-hmm. and her striking to be successful gets hit more than one strike. It gets hit more than she, you know, lands, which is terrifying. By comparison, Nunez lands 4.44 per 15 minutes and gets hit at 2.47. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Megan Anderson's striking defense is 38%, which is abysmal. Yeah. So if you go beyond the just on the surface and you dig deeper in the numbers, it's really mm-hmm. it's hard to find. You know, you can make the argument back when Holly Holm beat Ronda Rousey that ronda rousey was a submission specialist who did all her damage on the mat and holly Holm had a background in kickboxing so at least you could say there was some an area where Holm was considerably or at least considerably more decorated Mm -hmm. uh there's nothing like that here
3: yeah the two points i wanted to make on this one is one I mean, the size that you mentioned, it's it's going to be glaring when you look at these two women, uh, but don't let that fool you too much. Anderson is, she's a true featherweight, a true women's featherweight in the heart of of hearts. Like, that is her weight class. She has to cut down to get to that weight class, cut down a lot. She works with a nutritionist. It's amazing that someone with her frame can get there, Um, but she's a real featherweight. Amanda Nunes is a bantamweight that sometimes goes up and fights for featherweight at fun because the UFC made a division for Cyborg and then Cyborg left. So, um, (laughs) you know, you got bantamweight, and weight versus featherweight here, but that hasn't necessarily mattered uh, so far. Nunez, you know, despite Anderson's strength being striking, Nunez has a power advantage by a mile. And I think the other thing here, which leads me into point two. um, Nunes can lean on a wrestling and grappling approach if she has to. She showed against Jermaine Durandamy that she can do that for five rounds. The cardio is there. There used to be some cardio concerns and with her sinuses maybe that, you know, in in the championship rounds, if she's fighting a grueling fight, that might be tough. But I think she's erased all of those doubts lately. And she could execute a game plan similar to Durandamy. I mean, I go back to Megan Anderson and Holly Holm, you know, five fights ago. Anderson Holly Holm, you, like you mentioned in the Rousey thing, she's a striker, she's a kickboxer, right? But Holly Holm, Jackson Wink, those guys deserve all the credit. I mean, obviously Holly too, but she made a game plan where she would just pick up and take down Megan Anderson over and over and over again. And Anderson, you know, probably wasn't expecting that necessarily. She might be expecting that more against Nunes, but if Holly Holm can do that at will. Amanda Nunes should be able to just get what she wants in that area whenever she wants. So uh, for that reason, I mean, it's Nunes through and through. The question then becomes ninety six hundred on DraftKings. I mean, how heavy are you going to be in on there? It's as it's, it's close to a lock
1: as you're going to see in MMA. But ninety six hundred, you're counting on a finish here. You are, and I, you know, I, I just I hate the idea of putting that, putting all your eggs in one basket like that, but. Mm-hmm you know then on the flip side if you're trying to win that win that you know that big prize that 200k you know, you could easily look at it and go, wow, you know, forget it. I'm not paying that if she loses or mm-hmm. she doesn't come through quick, my whole thing's shot, but yeah. there's just fighters
3: as- on the undercard. Cause this is a 15 fight card, you know, knock on wood. If you can hear me loud, it's a 15 fight card. And there are fighters in the 8,900 to 9,200 range that have just as good of odds as first round finish, at least according to the sports books. So for that reason, you know, maybe, maybe I will be a little bit lighter on doing but you know, she's as safe as they come for cash games.
1: Yeah, she definitely is. But yeah, this is a this is a pretty deep card, and there's a lot of under you know, we talk about some cards where it doesn't seem like there's any underdogs you like. There Mm -hmm. there are quite a few on here that you can certainly make a case for. So um, you know, it's it's obviously a big price tag, but you if you're gonna be the type, you almost have to get a piece of her in some some you know one form or another because it could easily be another, you know, first couple minute route and then, mm-hmm. you know, you really have no chance. The gone in 60 second
3: bonus, I mean, yeah. Anderson's only path is to rusher and land a lucky shot, right? And everybody that's done that to Nunez, whether Cyborg or, you know, you look down the list, anybody that's, you know, had a rusher like that, it's not ended well for. Her. So, you know, maybe there's a gone in 60 second bonus here to consider and then, you know, I guess I gotta mention that Anderson sixty six hundred. You punt one of your six roster spots. That's never gonna win you a GPP. But if you're trying to win a double up or something, you punt with Anderson and throw five favorites in there. Maybe that's a viable strategy, or maybe you start with Anderson and someone like Aljamain Sterling, and then you can get four bigger favorites in there. Um, you know, I guess that's a viable strategy. So you know, I'm not saying zero percent exposure if you're mass entering here to Anderson, but I just don't see a way she gets it done.
1: No, doesn't. It just Mm -hmm. even at such a cheap price tag, exactly doesn't particularly interest me. All
3: right, well, let's move on. Third title fight, man. Love this card. Uh, Piotr Jan is the bantamweight champion going up against Aljamain Sterling. Jan 8,400, Sterling 7,800, but the betting odds here have moved since the opener uh, and a noteworthy amount, you know, in my opinion. Right now uh, it's looking like pretty close to a pick-em. I'm going to check that. I got that up here one more time. Uh, it's pretty much a straight pick-em on every sports book I'm seeing, FanDuel Sportsbook, DraftKings Sportsbook, William H., can only technically talk about the legal ones here. So um, all, all those guys, it's a pickem. It's a straight pickem here. So there's definitely some line value on Al Jermaine Sterling. I actually think for that reason, Sterling will be one of the highest owned fighters on the entire card or highest rostered. Um, do you? Do you, I mean, do you see? Uh, are, are you believing that are you, getting somebody that's highly rostered like that? You know, maybe limits the ceiling a little bit. But do you, in the end, think Sterling can pull this off?
1: Yeah, I'm going to pick him outright and uh, not overly confident about it. Uh, essentially, you pick him for me, too. You pick this thing ten times, you probably take both guys five times. Mm-hmm. Um, this fight was supposed to happen in, in December. Um, it had to be pushed back. Um, Piotr Jan is making his first title defense. He defeated Jose Aldo for the title in July um, you know, there was a lot of talk that although probably shouldn't have been the guy to get that shot, that was the plan originally. And then I believe Henry Cejudo vacated the belt and that's what they ended up going with. Anyway, a lot of people um, are
3: saying that Jan needs this win to be considered like the real, real champ, actual champ.
1: Yeah, it certainly is a much, much stiffer test than Jose Aldo would have been. Um, Jan's been flawless in the UFC seven and oh, You know, he knocked out Uriah Faber, took decisions from Jim Rivera and John Dodson. Um, He's very, very good. A guy who does virtually all of his best work on the feet. We just talked about Megan Anderson landing, what, one-something strikes per 15 minutes, 1.82. Piotr Jan averages 6.32 strikes landed per minute, which is ridiculous and probably unsustainable over the long term. But I mean, if you remember watching him maul Jose Aldo in the later rounds there,
3: I mean, that fight could have been stopped for almost an entire round at some point. And he's just patting that stat over and
1: over again with the strike. Absolutely. I mean, Aljamain Sterling lands 4.82 per minute, so mm-hmm. a strike and a half less, and even that's a good number. That's considered elite. I mean, I would yes, call that elite. Yeah, yeah that's terrific too. Um, Jan can also wrestle when he has to, 1.4 takedowns per 15 minutes, and like you just mentioned in the Alba fight, Jan was fairly mediocre for the first portion of that fight. He was winning, but he wasn't dominating Jose Aldo and he got considerably better as the fight progressed, which is a good sign. And he's still young, you know, turned 28 years of age about three weeks ago. So, um, you know, there's no worry about getting an over the hill fighter here. Um, the flip side of that is this is by far the biggest test of Jan's career. And, You'd be hard-pressed to find a fighter, any fighter in the sport right now, who is as hot as Aljamain Sterling. Um, He's won five fights in a row. His last fight last June, he destroyed Corey Sanhagen in 88 seconds. And we all know what Sanhagen just did to Frankie Edgar a few weeks ago with that knee that knocked him into next week. Um, Sterling's fighting with a physicality we never saw from him during his early time with the company. His conditioning is exceptional. I mean, he never had cardio problems, but he's mm-hmm. in better shape than he's ever been before. And he's one of the strongest, deceptively strongest guys in the division. He can win a fight in tight. He can control an opponent along the fence. And the biggest difference between this Algerman Strong and the Algernon Strong we saw earlier in his career is his striking. His striking when he first came into the UFC was I, I don't know if I'd call it terrible, but it was certainly below average. He looked, he, you know, he has a background in, Sterling has a background in wrestling and he, like many wrestlers, he looked uncomfortable when he was forced to stand on the feet for an extended period of time. He has improved to the point where his striking is at least average and may be better than that, depending on, you know, which night you catch up on. Um, I don't think he wants to get involved in a kickboxing match with Jan for 25 minutes, but if Sterling knows he has the skills to at least be competitive in that area, it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, This is by far the fight I'm looking forward to most on the card, um, main event included. Um, I might be slightly biased, you know, being a long Island guy, but um, I'm taking Sterling and I just think there's a, physicality difference between the two, but I think it ultimately comes down to how well Sterling holds up on the feet, because I don't, I don't think this is a fight that's going to end quickly. I imagine this would see the fourth or the fifth round or go, you know, go to the final bell. And if that's the case, you know, there's going to be some point in the fight where Sterling's going to have to hang in on the feet. You can't allow Jan to get those combinations going and overwhelm him. But I think we've seen enough improvement from Sterling on the feet recently to believe he can hold up there. And then if you're looking at it from a DraftKings standpoint, like you said, the odds have essentially turned into a pick'em on every other site, and you're getting a $600 salary break, which is big.
3: Yeah. All right, so this is the first one we're going to disagree on a little bit, but I will admit, John, that this is so, so close. Like the line movement in this fight, it first came out, I was pretty sure about Jan, but the more and more research and the more I've read, you know, the amazing work that our writers have contributed to this site, you know, uh, the more I've read that, hey, I've been sneaking and seeing ways where Sterling can win. And I agree, you know, that there's a 50-50 shot here. I mean, that's what a pick means here. They fight 10 times, they each win five times. But I think I ultimately have to stick to my guns. You know, Jan is almost four years younger. He's just coming through the peak here of his UFC career. And um, and, and, and I think he can get this. Now, the, the caliber of competition here hasn't quite been as strong as Sterling, and Sterling's been hot. And I agree with you that he's looked the best he ever has. If this ends up on the feet here, I definitely see a, uh, you know, there's an advantage with that reach advantage for Sterling, has, but uh, I'm gonna take Jan by stoppage in the fourth or fifth round. I think it's gonna be a body of work thing, and eventually he's gonna be able to catch him with that striking. I mean, Jan, you know, flawless in the UFC, he was, um, you know, he avenged his only uh loss uh to Magomed, Magomedov, and he was fighting in uh, in uh, what's that absolute combat combat Akmat like the you know that where that basically Akmat where the uh you know that that region of the world that's just been such a hotbed for MMA fighters I think that Sterling might be able to get him down to the ground at one point uh you know he's got that 88% takedown defense but I think Jan is going to be comfortable in that situation he's going to know what to do he could maybe even reverse him you know he only has one sub on his on on his record so uh so I'm I'm not gonna count on that necessarily but I I think that uh as long as he can You know, the the one thing that worries me a little bit is the leg kicks that Aldo was getting him with early on. He's gonna have to check those or find a way to avoid those against Aljamain. But as long as that part holds up, I think he's gonna get him in the later rounds here. I think this will be a really, this will definitely be a coming out party here for Jan. But it's so so close, and the line values on Sterling and i guess that's another reason why i like Jan because it's a big leverage play you know for a lot of people when they pick their favorites they're going to go to sterling you know automatically they're going to see that line value and jump on it so that's going to drive the ownership of uh, piotr down and and i don't know i just think there's a way to take advantage there especially in a 50-50 fight now that's going to mean making your stand elsewhere underdog wise but i don't know i'm going to fade the field on this one and go with the champ
1: yeah i mean i don't know it's just something subconsciously the second I saw this fight announced, uh, I went with Sterling for some reason, mm-hmm. did some more research, didn't change my mind, but yeah, it's, it's 50, 50. Mm-hmm. It is what, it is what it is. It, you know, like I said, if I pick this fight 10 times, probably pick both guys five. There's just, I don't think there's a ton of separation and, yeah. um, I would be pretty surprised if somebody ended it quickly, but beyond that, you know, mm-hmm. I really, I don't have any expectations as far as what's going to happen. I think it's that close. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so you know, just for the record out there, all all the all these writers for the website that definitely know more than me are picking Sterling, but I'm sticking to my guns with Jan here. I mean, you're on Sterling. AJ has a whole several unit bet, you know, written up for the website about uh, about how Sterling has advantages in so many areas. So it'll definitely be uh, something interesting. I'm gonna roll Jan here, but I don't feel super super confident about it. We'll just say that here. Let's move on, though. A Lightweight matchup, Islam Makachev, Drew Dober. A lot of excellent fights on this card. This is definitely one of them. Makachev, a pretty big favorite up there, uh, minus 335, Dober plus 275. 9,400 for Makachev on DraftKings. So it's a pretty, pretty high price. Uh, Drew Dober come back 6,800. Odds to finish plus 125. I think that has to deal with mostly on Makachev fights. But uh, what are you thinking of this one? I mean, I think Khabib will be in Makachev's corner here. A lot of people, at least in my eyes, are, are – are, are this line's getting juiced to me because people think he's Khabib. I'm not quite sure he's Khabib, but he's still pretty dang good. What do you think?
1: Oh, he's definitely good. I don't think anybody's Khabib, but he's good. Um, my lone concern here about Makachev is the layoff um mm-hmm. octagon rust is real despite what dominic cruz who fights on this card says we
3: 546
1: a days and that's his, a lot
3: fight. yeah i mean dober it's been 297 it feels like it's been sooner for him for whatever reason god he's yeah been it feels it too. feels
1: like he fights all the time yeah it um, was last
3: may i think we have his dober's last fight but you know anyway but, 546 days that's a that's a little bit of a concern
1: it is and um you know makachev was looking at a, a year plus anyway um, you're supposed to fight Rafael dos Santos in October and then in November, uh, they both fell apart. RVA got COVID and then Makhachev got a staff infection. Um, I would certainly think Makhachev is the guy, one of the guys on the UFC roster who as far as activity, um, is probably most affected by COVID you would guess, you know, trains over, you know, over in Russia over there and, you know, didn't, didn't get a fight for a long period of time. Um. Makchev hasn't lost a fight since October 2015, so you're at well over five years. Um, he's long been one of the more underrated fighters on the roster. Um, it doesn't help that he hasn't fought in so long, so I think people kind of forget about him. Um, he's really, really big for the division. You don't find many lightweights five ten, and he's a really physical. Um, kind of similar to Sterling as tar- in terms of physicality. Um, over three takedowns per 15 minutes. You know that's certainly not a B level but it's really good. And even more impressive is the 68% clip at which he connects, which is about as good as you'll see, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be hard pressed to find a guy who connects. Yeah. Well, shoots, six, of his tries. He's going to keep going and he's going to finish it. Yep. He's very strong. Um, Habib has that ability, obviously, to drag people to the mat from anywhere. Um, Makchev does too, to some extent, but it's more due to his strength. Um, he won't turn 30 years old until late October. Um, they're really, at least on the surface, seems to be no reason Makachev can't make some sort of legitimate run at lightweight. And um, if Habib's legitimately done, he, you know, and he's you know, essentially coaching now, I guess you would say, um, you're learning from the best. So that's certainly another thing to take into consideration. Um, he's facing an opponent, Andrew Dober, who is inconsistent. Um, I th- guess you could say uh, what you see is what you get with Dober. Pure striker. Um, in many ways, the exact opposite of Makachev. Um, Dober does have six commission, w- uh, excuse me, six career submission wins, but it's safe to say Drew Dober's offensive arsenal is based around the striking. Um, Dober's technique is on the feet is good. Um, you know, he, he moves well, but I think the secondary aspects of his game are an issue, mm-hmm. especially here. Um, I think there's just such a massive grappling gap between these two. And, you say this with Habib all the time. Habib takes guys who you would say, oh, wow, they're good wrestlers. And then he makes them look like amateurs. Um, you know, I'm not saying Machchev's on that level, but I certainly think there's a gr- grappling gap between him and Dober. Yeah. Um, I mean, Dober has a
3: 58% takedown defense. He has won six of his last seven fights, but the one he lost was to Benil Darius, who took him down twice and then eventually submitted him in the second round here. Uh Could you see a Makachev by submission prop if you don't want to pay the minus 335
1: straight up? You could. Um, You know, I think the one thing I like about Makachev, and we say this a lot about wrestlers, is um, you know the attempts are going to come. And we always say, if you're a wrestler and you don't connect on the first, the second, or your third try, some guys just quit. They say, oh, crap, I can't get this guy down. And they stop. If you don't connect on your first three, you got to fire off a third, a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth. Um, it's – this was a pretty easy call. You know, I took Makachev by decision. You know, you could certainly take, you know, a submission prop. You get much better odds, obviously. Um, the only concern really for me is the layoff for Makachev. You know, it's been a long time. But, you know, you certainly think if, you know, Habib in his corner and all that, he's prepared and ready to go. Um you'd like to see him fight more often, obviously a lot, everything that happened in the past, you know, year and a half or year plus or whatever is beyond his and anyone else's control. But, you know, if he can fight, you know, we're in, we're in a, you know, early March now, if he can get a, you know, fight now and we could see him, you know, at least maybe once, even twice more before the end of twenty one, twenty twenty one. 2021, yeah. I see no reason he can't make a run. He is that talented.
3: Yeah. He could definitely be a factor. I think uh, Chris mentions in his mash mashup column here that Makachev, Probably out of all fighters on the roster, he's one that benefits the most from the DraftKings scoring changes. I mean, awarding control time in a fight like this. I think that could be a big, uh, cause you know, under the old scoring system, I'd have laughed at 9,400. I'd have said, absolutely not. You know, I'll fade him. He's going to win. I'm going to pick him. I'm going to pick him pretty comfortably in this situation, even with the scoring changes. I don't know if I'm going to be heavy on him in DraftKings. For example, like, I don't know, let's say I might make five lineups and, uh, I might have one Dober share in that lineup because Dober has three consecutive stoppages and two bonuses, you know, all within the first two rounds in his last couple fights. He's a finisher. He's been a little, I mean, almost a year, but, you know, you could definitely say he's been more active. Uh, you know, there's a case to be made for Dober, but but you're right. The things that he struggles with are the things that Makachev excels with, and Makachev just has so many more ways uh, to victory here. Don't forget about that submission sub. think I might be cold that put that in his bets, but that might be a way to avoid paying the minus three thirty five for mochev because that's a that's a pretty hefty price tag for somebody that hasn't you know fought in that long of time so um that's what I think about that here. any final thoughts on that one? No, that sounds about right um, Not right yeah, well we Oh, I guess we'll go ahead. We'll go do a light heavyweight fight here. Tiago Santos, Alexander Rakic. Rakic is the betting favorite at minus 155. Comeback on Santos, plus 135. Rakic, 8,600 on DraftKings. Santos, 7,600 on DraftKings. Uh, The odds to finish are minus 195. This should be uh, hopefully a banger here to open up the pay-per-view card here. Uh, What are your thoughts on this one, John?
1: This is going to be a good one. Really looking forward to this one. Um, It I was a little surprised at the odds as far as – well, actually a little bit. on um, The Vegas odds, I guess, look about right. The DraftKings salaries surprised me a tad. Um, Thiago Santos is 7,600, Rockage 8,600, as you mentioned. Back in July 2019, everybody remembers Thiago Santos' performance against John Jones. He took Jones to a split decision. I'd have to watch it again to tell you who I actually thought won, but it was close. And in that fight, Santos tore his ACL, MCL, and PCL in addition to the ever popular other injuries. The fact he fought that well and nearly took Jones's belt. Despite having one knee that was in eight million pieces, is mm-hmm. stunning. I
3: think both his knees had some ligament damage after it's, that one. You know, it
1: was how he one, could stand. Was him. I have no idea. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I don't. Th- I didn't think it got his performance got talked about enough at the time. Um, I don't think it's been talked about enough since. And the issue is not that. The issue was when Thiago Santos returned this past November and was submitted by Glover to Teixeira. Now, Glover has performed considerably better lately than anyone could have guessed. He's on a resurgence, and actually, Dana White just said at the press conference they completed a few minutes ago, he's going to weigh in as the alternate for the Adesanya-Bakovic fight. So, so, if, so if someone falls apart and you know can't go, that's where we're headed. It's not um, a bad consolation prize. No, Glover's been really good. But... In relation to Santos, the question is, was the poor effort? And he didn't look good prior to the stoppage. He looked out of sorts from the beginning. Are you sure about that? I thought he had him
3: a couple times. He he had rocked him in the first round and Glover survived. And then he landed a little bit later. But he, I don't know. I, I can remember that fight. Maybe I'm remembering this wrong. But uh, you know, I can remember then Glover kind of being all rocked as he was, just stuck to his know. instinct that he knows f- and shooting. And then you know, and then he took Santos's back. Boom! Fight's
1: over all of a sudden. But I thought Santos looked good in that fight. Before I don't. Know, maybe it, maybe I was looking more at the, like the fluidity. Fair. He looked a yeah. little. He looked a little. The power's definitely there. Mm-hmm. It's probably his great Santos's greatest asset. Um, but. The question is whether this the result in the Teixeira fight was because Santos Santos is not a young guy. the The question is whether the result he you know he's thirty seven years old. So whether the result in the Teixeira fight was that Santos was a little bit rusty, hadn't fought in a long time, and was coming off you know a massive injury, a serious serious injury. Mm-hmm. So the question is whether that was the re- the result was partly due to that or whether it's because he's slipping a bit. Now, the problem here is he's facing a guy who has been exceptional since joining the company. Um, doesn't get talked about much, but his most recent fight last August, he went out and hammered Anthony Smith. Now Anthony Smith is fading, but he's still one of the toughest guys in the sport. Um, five and one in the UFC Rockets, only loss was split decision against Volcano's demir. Um, the issue with Rakic, like many young fi- or many fighters we haven't seen a ton of, is how he faces, how he fares against better competition. You know, similar to Piotr Jan in that extent, this should be the biggest test of his career by a healthy margin. Um, he's good, and the power is totally legitimate. And Rakic is two inches taller and has a two-inch reach edge in what is expected to be a brawl. I'm actually surprised the odds the finish are only minus 195. They'd be higher than that. Um, I don't think this thing's going to see the final bell. But um, the winner here is the guy who's going to be able to push forward consistently, um, take the center of the octagon, force his opposition back. And the crazy thing is, for two guys who do virtually all their damage on the feed, neither get hit. Santos eats 2.32 strikes a minute. Rocket he's 1.99, so those are really low numbers for two guys who do virtually all their damage on the feed. Um, ultimately, for $1,000 in salary, I'm going to roll the dice on Santos and say that the loss to Chisera was the combination of ring rust and the knee injury, and he's back now and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, if you told me the odds and the salaries or whatever were exactly the same, I'd probably take Rocketsch. But $1,000 is major savings. And in a fight where I don't think there's a ton of separation, um, I'll take that and just hope that Santos is fully healthy again, you know, can get it done. The one thing that's certain is whoever, there is not a lot of depth at light heavyweight either. Man, it seems like we're saying that a lot now. Some of these divisions are loaded, and some of the divisions lack depth. And if one of these guys can get an impressive victory, right back in the mix.
3: Yep, absolutely here. And uh, I agree with you in the fact that, uh, you know, Santos has got a ton of power and I'm giving him a pass for the Teixeira fight. I'm actually going to go ahead and pick Santos as well. Um, But I'm starting to get nervous about it because I think five out of our six uh, contributors that put in staff picks this week all had Santos. So people are are all over, all over him, and I think we might be underestimating Rakic a little bit. And uh, you know, maybe that's a leverage play similar to some of that logic I was saying with Jan. But overall, I mean, you know, it's being framed as a, as a you know Grizzly vet against an up and coming prospect here. And Rakic hasn't necessarily rolled through everybody, you know, despite what the record says. Here, he beat Anthony Smith, but he couldn't finish him. Actually lost the split decision to Volkan o- Ozdemir. That one was that's, pretty that's, controversial. That's
1: that's a little concerning. Yeah. Because Volk, Volkan is... He hits hard, but mm-hmm. there's not a lot yeah. of depth to his yeah. game. That decision was pretty controversial. A lot of
3: people think Rakic won that fight. Uh, you know, he finished Jimmy Manuel. He finished Devin Clark. Uh, he had to finish Devin Clark late. He actually got caught and you don't think about this necessarily with Devin Clark, but he actually got caught a little early in that fight, um, but eventually took care of business there. But, uh, you know, it hasn't been completely smooth sailing, you know, like, you know, Piotr Jan or someone that we were talking about, even like Cyril Gan, who we alluded to, you know, you think these prospects that are up and coming, you know, they're going to roll through everyone, and now it's time to get the gatekeeper before you're ready for a belt. It hasn't been super smooth for Rakic, and, uh you know, I, I think he's being a little overpriced in this fight. I think people have too much recency bias um, on Santos to share a fight. You know, like I said, Santos caught share in the first round a couple times. Had him wobbled pretty bad. If Santos finishes that fight... Well, number one, Santos could be the guy fighting for the title here uh, this week. And, and number two, you wouldn't see this huge of a gap in salary, obviously. I think there's just a little bit too much recency bias, and there's an opportunity to buy low on Santos. He'll be one of the guys I'm pretty heavy on uh, on on DraftKings here on Saturday. And uh, I, I think we're in agreement there.
1: Yeah, this is a good fight. Uh, man, I forget what the opener of the last pay-per-view was, but. Um, no, it, it wasn't very good. I remember saying this was not the ideal opener for a pay per view at the time, yeah. I don't, I don't even remember, and that should tell you all, all you need to know. I think yeah. it got
3: switched a bunch of times. Due to oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Because-
1: it was there, you go Julian Marquez and Maki Patolo, which actually ended up putting on an extremely entertaining fight, yeah, that was but cool. it, it's not on this level. Yeah. I mean, coconut bombs versus the cube. That, that was a crisis, good, that was battle a battle of the best
3: thinknames. anyway. All right. So, you know, we went through the pay-per-view here. We're creeping up on an hour here. I mean, we talked about this card being super loaded here, uh, to give you an idea of that Dominic Cruz and Joseph Benavidez, a former champ and a former title contender are both fighting on the undercard. You could argue that, you know, the last spot on the ESPN part is, you know, just as valuable as some of the early pay-per-view spots. You know, there's a lot going on there. Um, so those are great fights. Uh, But anything else that you want to highlight here overall on this card? I mean, there are a ton of underdogs to pick from. I guess, are there any live dogs that you like?
1: There are a few. Um, And actually, believe it or not, I like the two you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, Both the veterans, Dominic Cruz and Joseph Benavidez. Um, On the surface, both guys probably trending in the wrong direction. Um, But especially Cruz, I'm kind of going to just... On his preparation, um, Cruz has lost his last two fights, um, Cody Garbrandt, and then he was knocked out by Henry Cejudo. Um, the Garbrandt fight, I can't really explain that was that. I mean, that was back in 2016. So, um, but Cejudo is the Cejudo loss, which was May of last year. I mean, Cejudo is like one of the best fighters of all time. I mean, it's unquestionable at this point. So, you know, that is what it is. The
3: stoppage was a tad quick in that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is, you know, and he was coming off a three-year layoff. So, you know, look, you lose to Henry Cejudo. Look, it happened. You know, you're not losing to some scrub. And he's facing an opponent, Casey Kenny, who has been pretty good, but again, relatively untested. Five and one in the UFC, but the wins came over Ray Borg, Manny Bermudez, Luis Smoka, Haile Altang, and Nathan Wood, Wood, who I actually like. But again, you're looking at, you know, risk reward for a guy who is eighty-one. Both guys are 80, 100, You know, I'm willing to bet on Dominic Cruz's resume there. And then you look at Jose Benavides, um, another guy I like as an underdog. Everybody says Jose Benavides has lost a step or two, which is probably true. But Benavidez's last two losses, in which you know he was dominated in both, but you know Davison Figueredo is really, really good, you know. And besides that, the only guys to defeat Joseph Benavidez were Demetrius Johnson twice, Dominic Cruz twice, and Sergio Pettis via split decision. So, um, you know, I think there's value there too against the guy in Oscar Oscarov, who we haven't seen a ton of three fights in the UFC. So you know you're looking for value, and there are several underdogs on this card who I think really have a chance to pay off. It's 15 fights, so if you're making multiple lineups, there's certainly potential because there are a lot of guys or women you can use. Mm-hmm.
3: I can see where you're coming from with Cruz. Some of the best, you know, technique in history. We'll see if he can still has that up. I'm not so much with you on Benavidez. I think he's been, I mean, maybe it was just Figueroa, but he's been a little chinny lately. And uh, I don't know, Askarov is definitely... That's
1: the concern there. Yeah,
3: Askarov's an up-and-comer that, you know, kind of comes from that hotbed over in Russia that uh, I think will be a contender in this division eventually here. So that's what I worry about. I want to throw another flyweight fight out there because I think it'll be overlooked a little, little bit. Tim Elliott and Jordan Espinosa. And there's line value for sure, on Espinosa here, who is, uh, minus 125 or minus 135 betting favorite, but he's only 8,000 on DraftKings, whereas Elliot is 8,200. But I'm going to actually go for Elliott in this fight, um, with the, uh, you know, as kind of a leverage play, really thinking, uh, that people will take the line value and I'll take the opposite side of that. Um, one, I mean, he's a vet and I think he's kind of had murderer's role lately in a sense where, you know, the guys that he faced, We all think much higher of them now than when he was about to face them, you know, all up and comers that he's, you know, taking hits for on his losing streak. But uh, Cole Shelton's writing, shout out to Cole, who's writing some betting content for us. He mentioned, you know, he interviews a lot of these fighters and he mentioned that when Elliot was training in Vegas and Espinosa was training with James Kraus, you know, Kraus and Elliot were friends and Kraus told Espinosa he didn't. Like the matchup for him and told him not to take it. And now years later, Elliot's overtraining with Krause, and the fight's suddenly been made. So I don't know. I like this little X-factor narrative story here, a different angle to come from. I I, I, had, I found that very interesting when I was reading that uh, in the in Cole's betting pick article that's up on the site right now. So um, yeah, I don't know. You might think Elliot's washed, but that was a very interesting angle for me to see, and I might get a little bit of Elliot for that reason.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, my one concern about Elliot is that He's just a wild man inside the octagon. He's just he's all over the place. Fair. And he kinda doesn't tailor the way he's fighting to his particular opposition, which you know could work well or not. And I guess on that sense, um, if you're looking at that, you know, that kind of mindset, um, Rogerio Bontorin against Kai Car France is interesting because Car France is eighty five hundred, Bontorin's seventy seven hundred, but Kyle France is another one who has run into trouble when he gets reckless it's just full speed ahead all the time and he's had problems with guys who have been able to counter him and kind of pick him apart and use his aggressiveness against them. But it's a very deep card with a lot of possibilities.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Any, um, you know, we, we like to talk about that gone-in-60-seconds bonus. Mathematically here, you've got Ulberg at 9,000. He's plus 134 by knockout. And Ulberg's uh, going up against Kennedy Nuchuku on the undercards. He's 9,000 on DraftKings. I, I mentioned that here. And then the other guy, you know, math-wise, that you're looking at is uh, Uros Medic. He's going up against Alon Cruz. He's 8,900, and uh, he's plus 155 to win the fight by knockout here. So... So favorites, you know, I mentioned, you know, some of the high priced guys and, you know, we talked about Adesanya and, and, you know, even that Bantamweight championship fight, but these guys are just as high up on, you know, as far as the win by knockout prop. And I think you need to mix them into your lineups as
1: well. You know, if you're going to trust the lines. Yeah. I mean, I get two of the guys who interest me the most as far as, you know, the gone 60 seconds knockout are Santos and Rockets, but I'd have a hard time picking which one. If -hmm. you're looking at just power and a guy who can go in and blast his opponent, both those guys are right at the top of the list, but they're facing guys, you know, an opponent who's kind of a mirror image of each other. And that kind of makes it difficult to pick one over the other. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. When, so. when you're doing that, you're kind of looking for a case with an inferior opponent in most cases, mm-hmm. and that's not. I guess you'd have to put Nunez in there too. I guess there's yeah. a chance she could just yeah. go in and blast well, Anderson I, I, I the set, next week. I set
3: that kind of aside. I, I, you know, when I when you sort all the odds, whether you sort one of my favorite features. I don't know if I talk about this enough, but on, on the new sports betting page, you can sort by the probability of a first round stoppage, and you can sort the whole list of fighters, and it'll give you who. Is the most, and I've you know our tech guys that made that page were, were were cashing in GPPs by just going with those fighters. So Nunes tops that list, of course, but Ulberg and Medic are on there as well, and those are guys that you know nine thousand I almost like them better than Makachev because I think their ceiling, their scoring ceiling is upside is, is higher because of the likelihood of that first round stoppage. And you know, you're saving four or 500 bucks there. So uh, I guess that's the strategy that I'm going, that, that I'm trying to highlight.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, there's just, there's, it's deep, you know, it's a deep card with um, a lot of different possibilities. And like I said earlier, there's, a very real chance we could get through this card and not see another one as stack the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Fifteen fights. Let's knock on wood. Let's hope the
3: cornermen all stay out of uh, COVID positive tests. Let's hope everyone can make weight and get moving. I mean, it's been some dramatic weigh-ins in Vegas these last couple Fridays, so definitely something to watch out for. But we're going to end on that note. Thanks again, of course, for listening to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast brought to you by ESPN+, Plus, the exclusive home of UFC 259. Again, follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me on Twitter at Roto-Jake. We're going to be back with you guys later this month. We got a twofer in March, UFC 260. Stipe versus Ingano. That's going to be a banger of a fight. Can't wait to talk with you then. Till then, uh, good luck, everybody, with those lineups and bets, and uh, thanks for listening.
2: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.